You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And we have as a guest, Joyce A. Miller, who wrote a book, uh, Joe Harris, uh, The Moon, uh, a baseball book, uh, a life story book. Uh, Joyce, welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Well, well thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's really a pleasure. And um, I've uh, enjoyed the book. And um, I'm leaving the contents of the book largely in, in, in your hands about uh, what to uh, reveal. But prior to getting into your writing, your art, I wanted to know um, when you were born, were you an artist when you were born? So, so I, I don't know if I was an artist when I was born, but I always loved, um, this, as early as I can remember, I loved um, to to draw, to paint, to write. Um, so um, when I there, I mean, there's a story of when I was a little girl um, that I would sit on the bookshelf where the World Book Encyclopedias were, which were our um, our Google at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, and um, my dad would ask me, um, you know, what are you doing? And I would say, well, I- I'm a city book, you know, like sitting, but city so yeah so, so so that was you know that's kind of the first memory i have but um so i always like to write stories and draw pictures and i would write stories about inanimate objects around our house and bring them to life um of course then then i went down a a different path i guess in a way um, my, uh, when I got to, um, high school age, uh, my parents weren't really crazy about college. My, my mother owned a bar and my dad was a, uh, uh, blue collar worker. He worked for a company that made, um, sheet metal kitchens for fast food restaurants and so neither one of them were crazy about college and did didn't really think it was you know the way to go and so my dad told me that you know I should learn a trade and so I was really good at math even though I liked um, art and and drawing so I decided to become a draftsman so I went to school and um, at that time we worked on a board with a a pencil and you know a straight edge and a compass and a triangle (laughs) and uh, we didn't have the computers that we have now but I kind of started down that path and um, I the first couple places that hired me mostly was because I had pretty writing and um one place in i grew up in pittsburgh so one place in pittsburgh i uh, worked at a company that had had its drawings destroyed in a in a flood and i spent most of my time retracing them and um and then i 
ended up working at a nuclear physics laboratory. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't know if I was born an artist or, you know, just kind of followed a path and ended up where I ended up. Yeah, I was, I was, and, and I just wanted to ask one general question about mm-hmm. that, Joyce. I've, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by different types of knowledge. And I think a lot of times we end up talking about, uh, you know, science and art in very distinct uh, ways. But I, I do find that within science and, and folks who do science, they end up talking art a lot, particularly around some of the speculative aspects of that. Could you give us a little bit of insight since your mind has operated in creating and in that? Do you have some thoughts about, you know, maybe the conjunction or how that works for you? Well, I think for a lot of the scientific fields and um, for me, you know, uh, I worked at a, a physics laboratory, nuclear physics. A lot of the physicists also were musicians and many of them were also artists, um, you know, did paintings, did etchings, um, those kinds of things. And I think that, um, I mean, in all of science, I think there's a beauty. Uh, you know, if you if you look at a, I think was Richard Feynman, he was, a, you know, a famous physicist. And, you know, he said, you know, most people can look at a flower and see the the beauty in the flower but he said i can look at it and see the beauty in the cells i can see the beauty you know it goes so much deeper yeah and i think um and i think for me to do design work for the physics laboratory um you had to be creative um you you were working you know, on cutting edge technology, things that maybe had not been done before. And you would have to, you know, think outside the box and think, uh, you know, I can give you an example. Um, one, we had a, a target one time that they want, the physicists wanted it to go up over 800 degrees Celsius. But at the same time, they wanted it to be non-magnetic. So as we're designing this target, you know, we have to think about, well, you know, okay, we can't, we can't use metal. We have to use ceramic because um, it has to go to a high temperature, but it can't be magnetic. So there were always cases like that where, you know, you would have to be really creative to, to think of the things that you needed to do. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And it's one of the things that I've, that, that I've noticed and, and I particularly enjoy. I, um, I think for myself, my interest become in, in, in those creative and speculative aspects of, you know, of, of physics now, but let's, let's, let's jump up over a tiny bit and say, okay, so now you're figuring out that problem. Now we get a different problem. Now you got words, right? And right. you're trying to, and you're trying to reconstruct in, 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 in write you know, a wonderful human life, you know, baseball story, uh, your book um, that you mm-hmm. published, uh, Joe Harris, uh, the, the Moon. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about, can you tell us about that book and, you know, a, a big reason why we're chatting about your decision to kind of sure. 
tell that history and, and, and tell that story and uh, how that worked for you. Sure, sure. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I believe that storytelling is an art form um, in its own right. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I always liked to write when I was younger. And then, of course, I went down this path and, and, um, and had to make money to support my kids and my greyhounds. And, um, <laughs> and so I, uh, so when I retired, I retired in 2019 and I decided I wanted to get back to writing. And so I had this story in my mind that I had heard at our, you know, family family gatherings and things like that, that we had this Uncle Joe, who was my granduncle, so he was my grandfather's brother, and that he played baseball, and that, you know, he was kind of a hometown hero, and he was, uh, uh, that went on to play in this, in the World Series, and so I thought when I retired, you know, I'm going to tell his story. And so my, one of my cousins was um, really um, a major factor because he, he provided the, um, the research. So he was a member of SABRE, which is the Society for American Baseball Research. And he had done a lot of um, looking up old newspapers and um, following old box scores and so he had kind of pieced together um the the baseball parts of it and then so i took those parts and then i kind of filled in the gaps and i really didn't want to make it a uh true biography although it does follow his life um, pretty much he had a fascinating life. So I didn't have to make up too many things. But, you know, I went back and kind of filled in the blanks of things that were happening in the world at the time. And um, which was um, really interesting for me to, to go back and find out all those things and um, to tell his story. Yeah, it was... Um... And, and that that piece there, too, and I've had a few guests, you know, with baseball books and around baseball. And for me, um, as far as the book itself, for my attraction to it, I mean, um, yeah, I work every day on workers issues. So like that kind of working class and options mm -hmm. that people have, like, how do you have a big dream as a working kid? You know, like, what do you do about that? And and how you navigate and what accidents there are along the way the, that bounce you right. one or the other, you know? Right. And um, part of the whole part of his whole story was, you know, when the when the major leagues were first organized, they were um, the baseball players really got the short end of the stick. <laughs> they needed you, Ken. <laughs> for um, a while. You know, for a while. Yeah. yeah. And they and they got, you know, traded around. They hadn't really no say so in any of their of their lives. And so that's you know, my cousin and I talked about this. You know, that's kind of the reason that he went off to play in this 
um, outlaw league, you know what they called it, an outlaw league. So, you know, he came back from the war and in this, in, he went to play in Franklin, Pennsylvania for the town team in a two team league. And he made the same amount of money that he would have made playing for the Cleveland Indians. But it was a risk because, you know, he knew that he, he may not get back into the major leagues if he did that and it didn't work out. So he took a big chance there. And I think at the same time, um, you know, Babe Ruth was trying to um, like do these barnstorm leagues, barnstorming when he wasn't playing for the major leagues. And they didn't like that either. You know, they wanted him to just, yep. you know, play, play in the, in the leagues, like we have them for you, you know, don't go off on your own. Don't go trying to make any, any extra bucks without us getting a piece of it. I think kind of, well, so, yeah, yeah, it was kind of the rise, I think of the, the play of personality. And there's a huge piece of that within the, the Negro leagues where you would have these exactly. stars, right. That nobody would be able to see. And actually many times you had some, uh, compadres on the white player side being like, let's rock and roll. Let's do our tour. Let's play some ball out there and let's make our money because the bosses ain't going to give it to us. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Amen, amen, to, amen to them. I'd still pay for one of those exhibitions myself. <laughs> um, well, thank you for me. It is, it is quite the... Um, fascinating history and in terms of labor and just workers trying to make a go of it and, you know, playing baseball. Um, um, I got a big question for you, Joyce, cause I know you're nimble, haven't done, you know, haven't done, uh, worked in uh, a nuclear plant and, and writing baseball books and doing the different things that you do. But the going back to the big conceptual question is um, what is art? What do you think art is? <laughs> Hmm. Um, well, I think art is, is, um, in, I, I want to call it creativity. I think art is like an intentional creativity. I think you, you, it gives you a path to, um, to the, where your, your energy comes from. So, so whether you're writing or painting or drawing or dancing whatever it is I think that it it's that pathway it provides a pathway to to your energy your own energy yeah yeah I uh and I enjoy you saying creativity as well I bounce back on this the, the whole time right creative processes mm -hmm. and in art on that and related to that uh Joyce um what do you think the role of art is, you know, for, for you as an artist or for us who consume it? You got art out there. You got creativity out there. What's it supposed to be doing for us when it's out there? Well, I think it's to provide a connection. I think it's to provide a connection to one of us, to, to each other, um, I, I can give you a, a, a huge example from last year here in Richmond. Um, we have we have a street here in Richmond, which is called Monument Avenue. 
and on Monument Avenue at every intersection there was a a statue of a Civil War general or soldier hero. Um, you know, one had one has Robert E. Lee and one had. Jackson and one had AP Hill. So anyway, you know, last summer during these protests, um, those statues and their pedestals were turned into um, pieces of art, really, for lack of a better term. They took the statues away all except for Robert E. Lee, because that one is owned by the state. So there's still it's still in some negotiations, lawsuits and things like that. But the base of the Robert E. Lee statue last summer was spray painted. Um, a couple uh, ballerinas um, danced on it. And um, every night they shut, they had a spotlight on it that they changed the artwork in the spotlight every night. And it really turned from a, a symbol of hate to one of hope, I want to say. Uh -huh. You know, people kind of, I mean, after the initial protests, which were very painful and very violent, but afterwards, um, they left the spray painting up and um, people go there and have picnics now and it's a peaceful place and but a place where you know again I feel that connection you know the connection to people the people who who did the protest and the people who you know came out and said you know this isn't right we shouldn't do this anymore and the these statues need to come down and that kind of thing so yeah that um that 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 transformation of it and um yeah yeah, yeah i um i one of one of the things um one of the things that 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 i hear within that too is that around you know, I've seen around around like whether it's social upheaval and, and change of that sort, there's always this like expressive element either that comes from folks or to try to reinterpret something to like make it a source of like inspiration, I guess, maybe out yes. of it, rather than the, Rem the, yeah. the role it served, I guess. Yes. Um, so uh, that's what art, you know, I, I feel like it connects people. It just... Um, brings people together i think the the connection word has been big for me it's also been big in another context uh i remember hearing a surprising definition by a uh, russell brand of the you know he, he's talking about things like sobriety and suffering and saying that you know the opposite of those things is connection we're all just like thirsting for for connection mm -hmm. and um you know sobriety is really just this attempt to be able to connect with other humans and like mm -hmm. art has a lot of that as well it's like i put up this wild crazy thing that no other person in the entire world could even like connect to somebody sees it and be like oh my god that's my nightmare i feel better somebody mm -hmm. put it out there and they yes. connect to it and it means something you're like oh i'm not that wild and alone at the moment right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so we got the art in 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 the the role of art. I do have a couple bigger questions for you, Joyce. Okay. And one and one one of them is 
is, um, you know, in your life, in, 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 in you doing things creatively and living, who or what made you who you are? Hmm. Um, so, so I don't want this to sound sad or, or like I need pitying or anything like that, but, um, but I, um, so I told you that my mother had a bar and so she became an alcoholic and my dad was the like classic enabler and, um, I was the middle child and the only girl growing up in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, when, you know, the girl was the one who did everything, you know, you, you took care of the house and you cooked and that kind of thing. So, which fell to me since my mother was not going to be doing it. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like that. Um you know, is what made me what I am kind of self-reliant. And, um, like I had this, I had this creative juice flowing and, um, and so I just, I just would use, I would just use the art and, and what I felt to, to kind of get me through, get me through. And that's what made me who I am, you yeah. know, I, I just, when I went, when I had to go to work and, you know, I just would get the work done and, um, and I used the artwork as, you know, uh, kind of a therapy, I think in a way. So I think that's what, what did it. And it wasn't the easiest way to grow up, but, um, I think it made me who I am. Yeah. There's some of those, I don't know. I see sometimes harder habits that we like we pull in when we're younger. I could see them too. I don't know, mm-hmm. something around hard work, taking care of it myself. There's a problem, I get to scramble around and fix it. So there's this behavior that ends up getting ingrained. It ends up being very meritorious, I think, but yes. also it tends to be very what? Exhausting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and, you know, maybe if we had an easy path, we wouldn't be the way we are. You know, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, we're speaking with Joyce A. Miller. And um, uh, earlier on when I was talking to Joyce, I was telling her one of my uh, great loves is uh, literature. I, I, I enjoy comparative lit, studying literature, self-taught, taught at the university. Love, love books. Um Joyce, you love books as, as, as well. Um, I just want to ask an open-ended question. Um, you got another book or books in you, or is there a style and type of books that are coming out now where you're like, wow, some this is really happening. So what about books? So so I do love books. Um, I have a big pal. My to-be-read pal is huge. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, so so yes, I've now I've – I'm retired and I'm, I've endeavored on this writing path. And, um, the first book was, um, successful. A lot of people like Joe Harris, the moon. So, um, but my next book, what I've 
been felt called to do is to write a memoir about my time in greyhound adoption. Um, for the past 20 years, I worked with uh, greyhound adoption, several different greyhound adoption groups. And um, the reason that I chose the greyhound was um, I did this dog sport called dog dancing which is also known as canine freestyle and um, you it's can be compared to pairs ice skating you when you compete you get a artistic score and you get a technical score and you train the dog to do different behaviors right. so you train them to spin or you train them to um, back up or come to you, um, the, all kind of, to weave through your legs, all kinds of tricks. And then you choreograph that to a piece of music and the looks like the dog's dancing. He isn't really dancing, but you cue him at certain points in the in, music. In the, magic, like the, in the magic, the dog is always dancing. In the magic, <laughs> the dog is dancing. So, so I wanted to write this, the uh, a memoir of um, just like how I started out. I, you know, I, I wanted to get a greyhound because I'm, I'm a big woman and I wanted a tall dog. And I thought, well, the greyhound will be, will look good in this dog dancing um, thing. And uh, of course I didn't realize how hard they would be to train to do that because when they're trained to race, they the race. basically run or they lay down. <laughs> not yeah. not much in between. <laughs> but anyway, um, so the past 20 years I've had, um, I'm on my sixth Greyhound now. Um, and also during the course of those years, I, uh, I, I did the home visits for the Greyhound Adoption Group. And you wouldn't believe, or maybe you would believe, the things that people tell you and show you when you go into their homes for just a half an hour to talk yeah. about dogs. <laughs> well, uh, absolutely. And one of the things I wanted to say, Joyce, about this particular topic, and it's just, you know, I, where I, I grew up in Rhode Island and there was um, a, you know, the legalized form of betting at that time, primarily in the 1980s, was really on greyhounds and greyhound um, racing. And, and in Rhode Island, it was, um, well, it, there was always questionable business interests involved, including the, the mafia and, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so even as a kid, I was aware that, you know, I went to it. It was something culturally that he did. But as I watched and I heard stories from what happened to the dogs, mm -hmm. I, as a young kid, was, was, was horrified. Mm. And so that that that's closed down now, and that's kind of part of the past, at least there. But I've always held on to those who reach out and help greyhounds, whippets, mm. and other, particularly from that racing scenario. Mm -hmm. So I want to tell you, I know personally, or I've I've had that caring for me personally when I was mm -hmm. a little kid, and I want to personally thank you. Um, mm -hmm. For doing that because each time i've thought about um adopting or i've been with somebody i care about in a relationship mm -hmm. you know greyhounds always come up so i've been yeah. talking about them as maybe as an adoptive so i just wanted to point that out and thank you for that joyce uh, 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's um it's just like any it's just like baseball or any other industry that you know, you have good people and bad people, right? And there's always a few bad apples that spoil it for for the the rest. Um, you know, the greyhounds love to run. I mean, they love to run. And if it was all um, where everyone did what they were supposed to do and took good care of their dogs and kept the tracks in good shape, you know, greyhound racing would be a wonderful thing. But, you know, it just because of a few a few bad apples, it, it's just been ruined for everyone. And now there's only three states in the United States where greyhound racing is still legal. So one is... West Virginia, one is Iowa, and one is Alabama. And so the people who who adopt them for pets, and they make wonderful pets. They're, they're yeah, just that. docile and so easy to take care of. They're, they're like cats. They're the dog version of cats. <laughs> um, it would be a good in-between for me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that you know, there just won't be greyhounds to adopt anymore, you know, going forward. So... Um, so, so I thought this is a prime time to write this, this story to, to, you know, say what it was like when I started and what it's like now. And, um, yeah, and, and I, it, 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 it's, I, I appreciate that too. And like I said, for that particular, uh, breed and some of the particular abuses that a breed, that breed, you know, suffers and some of mm-hmm. the kind of you know, the better part of the story, you know, of, of right. you know, the chances afterwards. Um, we're going to jump from greyhounds to the big, big uh, question, Joyce. I mean, it's the way the show goes. We just go from okay. one thing to the next. So <laughs> the big question is, why is there something rather than nothing? So, um, so, so stories, stories matter. And, um, we see ourselves reflected in the stories that we tell. And, um, you know, when someone, when someone gets one of my books, I always write in it, um, show up and shine because, uh, I, I think that's what my uncle Joe did. You know, I think that he showed up and I think when you show up, that's, that's something rather than nothing. Yeah, I uh, that stood out to me. The the inscriptions show up and in, in, in shine. It meant a lot because for me it sounded like just right off the bat, be there, do your thing, say your thing, play your mm-hmm. baseball, write your book, sing your mm-hmm. song, do it, right? Do it. Just show up. It's it's ninety percent of the battle, I think. I love just it. Just show up. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Um, everybody, we've been talking to Joyce, uh, Joyce A. Miller. And Joyce, I want you to properly lead uh, the audience to um, your creativity, to the, to the book, to the website, however um, you'd like to be able to connect. Um, I love folks if they have an interest in great stories and history and baseball, uh, working class uh, Heroes and Fighters, Joe Harris, The Moon. But uh, Joyce, where do folks go to find you and your uh, creativity? Right. So they can go to my website, which is www.joyceamiller.com. 
And on that website, you can connect with me um, either by signing up for my newsletter or um, where you'll get things every month or um, there's connection to my Instagram page and they can um, follow me there. So, um, but the easiest way is just to go to the website. Yeah. Thank you. Th thank you so much. Um, and I, you know, I want to be deliberate about it too, as particularly, I know the effort you put into this work and trying to get it out there and get it into, you know, readers hands. Uh, it's also for folks listening. Um, for me, I, I crank up my baseball reading during the summer and it started in about April, May, and it goes through about <laughs> July, August. So it's, uh, it's, it's there for me, but, um, I wanted to thank you, Joyce, for coming on to the podcast, you know, for pretty much all the different uh, type of things that we talked about. Um, um, I appreciate you in, 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 in what you do and just wanted to um, uh, thank you for coming on to uh, something rather than nothing. Well, thank you for having me. Have a great day, Joyce. Thanks. This is Something Rather Than Nothing, 